please turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Today in verse 22, Luke begins a section that consists of four episodes that display Jesus' power. In this section, Jesus triumphs over nature, over demons, over disease, and next week, as we'll see, God willing, over death. But these aren't just examples of Jesus' power for us to see. These four episodes are all worst-case scenarios, ones in which people are in the most desperate or hopeless of circumstances. If there isn't deliverance from another world, if there isn't another power to come, they will not be rescued. And Jesus shows He is completely sufficient for each one. Jesus, often in the Gospels, almost without fail, follows teaching with mighty acts that demonstrate the present reality of what He's teaching. The living God of heaven and earth is present in the Word of Jesus. In the Word of Jesus. And what God does, we see Jesus does. Jesus reigns above all earthly and spiritual powers to deliver all creation from its curse. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who is present in this Word, God, by Your Spirit's power. Lord, would You open the hearts of Your people this morning. Open the hearts of us all to receive Your Word as Your Word, as the Word of Christ, as Your Word to us in Christ. Help me preach it as that. Help us receive it as that. Help us listen to it as though that's what it is because it is what it is. So help us, God, in these next moments in this place. May heaven bend to meet earth here. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 8. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water And were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled. Saying to one another, Who then is this? That he commands even winds and water. And they obey him. The focus here is on the sheer power of the Creator's voice, which we hear in the commanding word of Jesus Christ over a storm here. Jesus and His disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. They're heading for the southeastern side. This had been Jesus' idea. We can presume that after the day, it's nighttime. Jesus, therefore, falls asleep as you would do. And when He does, chaos breaks loose in the form of one of these horrible windstorms that would often blast its way down. It's kind of in a bowl onto this lake or this sea. The waves become completely unmanageable and fierce and the boat is being completely swamped. It's going to sink. They're going to perish. And we read in verse 24, and they went and woke Him. Jesus, that is, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, we need to realize how truly bad this storm must have been because at least three of these men, at least three of them, probably more, uh, are hardened veterans of who knows how many storms on this very lake. For them to be 
this alarm, this afraid, means that they really are in serious trouble here. And we hear it. Master, Master, we're perishing. They think this is it. Now, if you can remember Luke 8, 1 through 21, particularly verses maybe 4 through 15 or so, when you hear them cry out here, Master, Master, we are perishing, in light of the parable of the soils, back in verses 4 to 15, what they're saying is even more serious, more dangerous. Master, Master, we are perishing. That means their faith has been tempted by fear and they've succumbed to it. We know from Mark's account of the story that behind this fear that they're going to perish is their belief, their assumption that the Lord is asleep because He doesn't care. Their faith in Jesus as the Word of God in their midst is all but gone here. They're completely consumed by the storm and they shake Jesus awake. Jesus, we're going to die. So what does Jesus do? The Word speaks in the second part of verse 24 and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging wave and they ceased and there was a calm he is and he speaks the word of God Jesus continues his pattern of rebuking a creation gone awry in the gospel of Luke we should take note of the verb Jesus uses here in the second part of verse 24 he rebuked Epitomal, the wind and the raging waves. That verb is the same one used in Psalm 106, verse 9, where it says that the Lord rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. And also in Psalm 107, 29, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. But the even more precise translation of what Jesus did to this storm comes from the disciples themselves in that question in verse 25. He commands even winds and water. And they obey Him. What we see in the Old Testament that Yahweh does in the New Testament is what Jesus does when He rebukes and commands the wind and the storms cease. The Word of Jesus has the power to restore creation. He has the power to calm destructive storms. He is the Lord over creation and His creation obeys Creation knows that voice. The water knows that voice. This is the Word that called it forth out of nothing. All the way in the beginning. For us, the beginning. He's Lord over creation. So His creation obeys. This is the power of the Word from the presence of the Word who is Jesus. Even over nature. When Jesus calms the wind and waves, He transforms turmoil into tranquility and chaos into paradise. So it makes sense when we hear, given that this is what His Word can do, and they know part of what His Word can do, when we hear Jesus say to them in verse 25, where is your faith? Now, it's not that they didn't have any faith at all. But where did it go in this circumstance? Why didn't their faith show up when the storm was raging? Jesus isn't suggesting that they should have expected that to happen. That he would wake up and rebuke the wind and the waves, yell at them and they would cease. But that they might have at least considered that since he was there, since this Jesus was in the boat, nothing could really harm them unless he let it. In other words, if, if Jesus was in the boat with them, it should count for something. That they shouldn't be immediately afraid that all that's going to happen is they're going to die. It's not so much that we stop believing in Jesus when things get difficult. 
in life when the storm is raging. It isn't that. It's that we so quickly forget He's right there in the boat with us. The promise has never been that you and I will not go through storms. The promise has always been that He will be in the boat with us while it's raging. And sometimes, beloved, that's all there is. And it's enough. The presence of Jesus in His Word. And you say, how do I have that? You have it here in His Word all the time. As long as there will be storms and waves, we will need to have faith that Jesus is in the boat with us. Remember the parable of the soils. And that it's persevering faith that receives the Word of God continually. We need to have faith that Jesus is in the boat with us, that He is Lord over all creation, whatever is threatening us, and will not leave us or forsake us. Jesus asked the first question, where is your faith? It's the disciples that asked the second question in verse 25. Who then is this that He commands even winds and water and they obey Him? Right, because they literally do. Could you imagine? We read it as a Bible story. Known this since Sunday school, but could you imagine having been sitting in this boat? And isn't it interesting that what moves their question here is fear. Fear. Jesus has taken care of the problem that moved the cry. Their fear in verse 24, Master, we are perishing. The storm has been calmed. And now they're really afraid. They're really afraid. Put yourself in their shoes if you can. You're sitting in such and such a boat at this latitude and longitude on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus stands up. He's been, he's been asleep. You wake him up. He stands up, presumably walks to the edge of the boat, whatever it is, and yells to the storm, to, to the, the storm, the wind and the waves, to stop it, and they stop it. In fact, I think Mark's account tells us the sea became like glass. Instantaneously. Who is in our boat is what they're asking. Who is this? So this is something they're not ready for. They haven't seen before. Who then is this that He commands even winds and water and they obey Him? They've seen Him command apparently disease. They've even seen Him command demons. They've seen Him command a lot of things here. But only the Creator God can command winds and water. They know that. And the one sitting with him in the boat just did that. What if such a one is truly in our boat? What if God is truly among us? Could the one who was asleep a moment ago really also be the creator of all things? Is this God in human flesh? We might find it difficult to understand how the disciples could still misunderstand who Jesus is. And what he's come to do, even after he stilled a raging storm with the power of his word. But they did. They did. And we would too. When we see the power of Jesus, when he proves that he is who he says he is, it doesn't clear everything up for us. We either get afraid or more confused or more rebellious. The group that saw God part the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground, not a one of them walked into the promised land. Not a one of them kept faith. Power is scary. When you see real power, it's scary. There's a great 
example of this. The old old movies, which are, I think, you know, the best. I love the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve when I was a kid. Those were the best. But I like the new ones too. The the a couple years ago, maybe about ten years ago now, the man the movie called Man of Steel, like the the redoing of Superman's story. That's that's how the world would react to somebody like that that can do anything. That wouldn't be comforting unless you knew that person was good. Right? The, the, the military is afraid in that movie. People are afraid in that movie from the time he's a little boy to when he grows up because he can do these amazing things that people can't do. We don't know what to do with that kind of power. It should be a level playing field. Nobody should have that much of an advantage. This was terrifying. Imagine if, if the next time a severe thunderstorm blows through the valley and the sky's a little green and it has that tornado tint to it and you know it, it's, it's raging and thunder, lightning, pouring rain, you know, trees falling down and somebody just walks out and says, hey, stop it, and it just quits. That would, that would be pretty cool and not very comforting because who is that? Now we see what Jesus was trying to tell us. You see it here in the parable of the sower and the seed. We need Jesus close to us, forgiving our sins, speaking His Word to us, as long as we're out on the sea of this creation, at the mercy of the winds and the waves of this world. We need Him in the boat. We need Him up and speaking His Word, or we will perish. doesn't matter how much Word we've had up until the storm, like they had. It doesn't matter the closeness we had to His power up until the storm, where our faith is going to falter when the wind and the waves get big enough. We need Jesus in the boat. We need the one who has all the power in the boat with us. And he is still by his word. And that's what the next episode will show, by the way. He is above all earthly powers that threaten us. He is above all power, period. So their boat safely reaches land. And we pick it up in verse 26. <clears throat> Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons, plural. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat 
and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Luke takes us over to the country of the Gerasenes. This is on the southeast side or edge of the Sea of Galilee. This is Gentile territory. So we run into a pig farm in verse 32. Jesus, no sooner is Jesus landed on the shore than he's met by another power. The wind and the waves, creation, nature, that's a power. Now he's met by another one, a much more sinister one than a fallen creation. Jesus is met by the most sinister power of all, the spiritual power of the devil and his angels. Jesus is met by a demon-possessed man. And Luke takes a few verses here to describe this man's condition, his humiliation. He's running around naked all the time. His isolation. He didn't live in a house, couldn't stay anywhere. He lived among the tombs out in the wilderness. He's being driven by the demon over and over again into the desert, dragged there in subjection to this demon, this demon or demons own him. His life has been ruined. Imagine every bridge in his life is burned, every single one of them. He's the naked guy that runs around the tombs at night that can break chains and is powerful and scary. He'd been driven out of his mind by legion. Many demons had entered him. They owned him. They tortured him. He was a toy for them. He's completely under their power. But now another power has landed on his shore today. It's a greater power. And you see it right away. There's hope right away. There's a foreshadow of what is about to happen in the cry that he makes in verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. This time, the fear and the terror belong to the demons. The comfort belongs to this man and to us. As soon as Jesus arrives, there's apparently this invisible compulsion the demons have. They feel him arrive to show submission to the sovereign they hate so much. To immediately confess the truth of his supremacy over them, the triumph of his power over them. When we hear the cry of the demons, we know how this is going to turn out. There's not going to be a rumble here. Quoting, the terror of the demons is the hope of the church. Luke tells us, in fact, that Jesus had already commanded the demon to come out in verse 29. We then find out in verses 31 and 32 that when he did, they begged him. The demons begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. And so you, you find here, okay, he commands winds and waves, and he commands the devil and his angels with the very same word. He doesn't have to call in reinforcements here. We know who's in charge here. The demons know who's in charge here. The day is coming, of course, when Jesus will throw Satan and all his demons into the lake of fire that God has prepared for them. But it wasn't this day. We still haven't reached that day, but it's coming nonetheless. But the demons, they want to inhabit something, right? It's of course, what else are they going to do? They have nowhere to go. So they beg Jesus to send them into this nearby herd of pigs, which means Jesus is the one with the power. And notice here, in a very sick and twisted way, 
they have faith that he has the power to do that. I don't mean any kind of good faith. I mean, just they know. And so he grants even their request, even their request. In verse 33, then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So there goes the livelihood of those farmers. Their life just went right over the cliff. Their money, their provision, it's gone. Jesus is a problem, isn't He? His power is a problem. It's a threat to the status quo. We get it in our heads, we can just kind of tack Jesus on to life. And if we do that, you know, if we put God first and make God number one in everything, whatever that means, however we define that, that everything will go well. Sometimes. Hopefully. Usually the pigs just run off the cliff into the ocean or into the sea. And they're not coming back. And notice the text couldn't be less concerned with the questions that arise from all that, could they? Jesus is here. See, this, the Word of God incarnate is among us. That's the thing that matters when He's here. Everything else can wait. Everything else can go by the wayside. We need to listen to Him right now if He's speaking, if He's here. And He is through His Word. He was there physically that day. This world in its present form is passing away. Let us awake and see the truth and the priority of the Word of God spoken once and for all in Christ. Those folks felt it, didn't they? In verses 34 and 35, the pig herdsmen fled the scene. They tell the town and the countryside what had happened. Word spreads like wildfire. Folks come from all around. And what they see is apparently as shocking as the calm of the sea for the disciples was after the wind and the waves. It's the calm of this once demon-possessed man. The Word brings calm into two kinds of chaos, two kinds of evil. And now they are afraid, the people in verse 35. Everybody's afraid. Demons are begging. People are afraid. Closeness to the Word of God in Christ is scary for us humans. We don't know what to make of it. We can't domesticate it. We can't control it. That's why most soils make nothing of the Word of God and can make nothing of it in verses 9 through 15. They ask Jesus to go away. And in verse 37 is the scariest part of this whole text. Jesus grants their request. Okay, I'll leave. He's here. Jesus is here and they want Him to leave. To reject Jesus is to reject life and to choose death. See, the seed that is the Word of God apparently will not make the soil do what the soil does not want to do. Soil will have to be changed to respond properly to the Lord. So we better be listening. We better stay close. We better receive His Word as truth. We better understand that He has all the power and authority in any given moment, at any given time, in any given circumstance, regardless of what the power is behind what we are facing. Where else are we going to go when we need power? Who else can save us from a creation gone awry or the power of Satan and his demons? Who else? If he's here, we better let him stay. 
we better beg Him to stay. In verses 38 and 39 is some irony for us. J.C. Ryle commented that the Gerasenes begged Jesus to leave them and their request was granted. While the man from whom the demons had departed begged to stay with Jesus and his request was denied. Jesus continues to baffle us, but in doing so, He's instructing us. Does Jesus leave the Gerasenes completely on their own without His Word? No, He doesn't. The Word is much more merciful here than that. Jesus Himself really did leave, but in another sense, He didn't. He really did ascend and leave the earth after His resurrection. And in another sense, He stayed right here with us. Here, how does the Word stay in the country of the garrison? Well, He sent this new evangelist back into their midst as a testimony to them. Because where the seed takes root, the Word remains. The Word of Jesus is always the Word of Jesus even when we are the ones who are speaking it from these broken mouths with our pasts and our history. The guy that was just recently running around all the time naked among the tombs and was scary is now an evangelist for the Gospel. He now carries the Word. It's the Word that makes the soil respond. Trust the Word of Jesus to do exactly what God empowers it to do, even when it's on our broken lips. Salvation and healing through the Word of Jesus create faith in this demoniac, and he's made a disciple because Jesus spoke. God can overcome any obstacle there is to create a hearer and a doer of the Word. He can overcome anything to do this. That's what His power over the oast or over the sea. That's what His power over the demoniac represents. Is telling us, is demonstrating to us in this story. God can overcome any obstacle to create a hearer and a doer of His Word. To bring someone, even a demoniac, into His family and make them His own and give them a voice and give them the Word. And now it's through this man that Jesus leaves, but also leaves a testimony among the garrison. This Jesus stands above all powers. These two scenes prove that this Jesus genuinely must be the Lord over creation and the one who has come to defeat Satan. For He has just done both. Jesus Christ is the gracious defiance to the rulers of this age and to the deadness in our own hearts. Jesus can go, but Jesus will also stay through His Word as He is with us. We might think we've removed Him. Maybe that we've successfully ignored Him and got Him out, but His power and His love are simply too great. The Gerasenes would be reminded of Jesus every time this former demoniac proclaimed what Jesus had done for him. Every single time. The wind and the waves, they still know the voice of the One who ruled them while He was below. And the old hymn says, He's gone physically, 
but he remains. Such is the power of Jesus. Such is the power of his word. He is above all powers. The kingdom Jesus is proclaiming releases creation from its bondage to sin and evil, to fallenness and death, and begins a new era of salvation under the gracious rule of God, where storms answer to him, where Satan answers to him, where sickness answers to him, where death answers to him. None of those things are any more final. None of them. Only the Word. Only Christ. The safest place to be is in the hands of the one who has all the power. In each of these cases in this text, the Word of Jesus has the power to halt evil and to restore creation. He can save us from literally everything that threatens us, spiritual and physical. And He will one day, finally, once and for all, when He brings the new heaven and the new earth to this earth and sets it up on its ashes. Do you ever find yourself wondering, asking in panic or fear or confusion, Lord, where are You? I'm perishing. I'm dying here. Where are you? He's here. And he is here in this word spoken to you. When you want God to speak to you, go to where he says he is and hear him. He's always there. He's always present in His Word. You need to know this for you. You need to know it for your brothers and sisters because if you go visit, if you pick up the phone and call, if you pray, if you speak, if you go to the hospital, that Word is present with you for them also. He has never left you. Ever. Jesus reigns above all earthly and spiritual powers to deliver creation from its curse through His Word. To deliver you from how the curse has destroyed you. That's what's in His promise. To deliver you from your sin and your evil and your history and your rebellion and your doubt, and your unbelief, and your storms. Jesus Christ is always present with us in the external Word that He has spoken to us that remains and will not pass away. The power and the presence of the Word of God, and whether or not it is real and true and binding, is never going to be dependent on your feelings or your circumstances. Just because you do not feel that God is close means that He is far away. He doesn't lie. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Remember, there would have been no light in this boat at all 
If there's a storm, there's no moon probably. There's nothing. It is pitch black. Master, we are perishing. I know who you are. I've seen what you can do, but these waves are too big. The boat is going to sink. Nobody can fight this storm. Then somebody has to say, can you wake him up? Oh, he knows. His sleeping is not his ignorance. It's his confidence. Well, he doesn't sleep anymore. He is glorified. He's awake. He's in the boat. And it doesn't matter whether or not you feel like he is in the boat. That's not what the promise is dependent on. But on the one who is above all powers for me and for you.